Hey, Loza, where are we? We are standing in the shade at the Jane Austen Festival. It's not helping. It's still, still very sweaty. We just arrived. Yeah, we did. We are, there's a couple of hours until our quiz, our trivia tournament. Mm-hmm. Are you stoked? I, um, I'm nervous because I hate public speaking and I just do it all the time. I mean, you won't stop, please. It's like that meme where it's like, nobody, 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 Lauren. Okay, well, I'm going to publicly speak. (laughs) Just every time. It's shocking, isn't it? Terrible. But then afterwards, I'll be like, that was great. I love the sound of my own voice, and I think I'm smarter than I am, so (laughs) this is like my perfect gig. This will be no problem for you. I love to exert my authority over other people. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Don't I know it. Welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the show that explores the lives and works of women writers from the 18th, 19th and 20th centuries. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. And I am your host, Lauren Burke. And this week, we are taking you back in time to the Jane Austen Festival in Kentucky, America. Yeah. Whereas Kentucky, Louisville, the Jane Austen Festival, Louisville, Kentucky, America... USA, yes. North America. Mm-hmm. You True might story. remember that uh, we've actually been there before. Uh, we went last year and you can listen to that in episode 33 of season two. And we interviewed the festival creator all the way back in season one, episode nine. So this is like a little thing. We like to do a little throwback to it every now and then. Yeah, indeed. And um, since we've covered the festival on the show before, we wanted to give you a little something different this year. You know, mix it up a little bit. So this year we are covering bits from the events that we uh, missed last year, like the ball. Woo. Excitement. Oh yeah, we went and to the ball this year. We we went to the ball. Our was, first ball. My first ball. Not my first ball. Not your first <laughs> ball, but it's my very first one. And um, we actually made it to some speaker talks this year, yes. which was amazing. Yeah. Thank goodness. Good. Yeah. So um, first up, we're going to have some highlights from our pub quiz. We were one of the speaker events this year. We were. We yeah, made it to so one. We, our we definitely made it to the very first one. <laughs> we were there. There are pictures. There is audio. You're about to hear it. Um, you're not getting the whole pub quiz. I just want to, you know, let you know up front. We've had many requests for this. But, you know, that's for reasons. One, there's a lot of there's a lot of audio. There's a lot of waiting in between while people are, you know, actually doing the quiz. There's a lot of us repeating the questions over and over again. So what's I don't the main think you want to listen to that. The main reason is that um, we're still available to tour and do these events. So you're not getting all of our questions and answers up front. But you are getting some of the fun bits and the awesome reactions and responses from the crowd you'll also hear some clips from the ball and from our amazing dinner companion who was an expert in regency sedan chairs and if anyone can let us know what his name was you just you just hit us up because we forgot charming man a charming man nameless 
for eternity. Finally, you're going to hear a clip from Dr. Glynis Ridley. Uh, she did an excellent talk on the significance of the history novels in Northanger Abbey. Um, I should mention that during that talk, you are going to hear a fan running um, because it's outside and it's so, so, so hot. Yeah, it was so, very sticky. Um, it's really sticky. Kentucky's so that fan was necessary. State. That's really what they is. say. It's commonly known as the sticky state. Over across the pond, that's how you guys refer to it. Yeah, almost. I would say 100% of British people call it the sticky state. I wonder what you call Florida. Uh, we call them book vouchers. <laughs> <laughs> no one will understand that joke. <sighs> <laughs> so now if you'd like to recreate the sort of Kentucky sticky experience, then go ahead, pause this recording, put on like three layers of clothing, and then just jump into a sauna and hit play and you will, you know, recreate what we were going through. You'll be close to the it. Entire weekend. I don't think three layers is enough. You'll be close to feeling the stickiness. <laughs> Welcome everyone to this year's Jane Austen Festival. Who's excited? <laughs> For those of you who do not know me, I am Amanda Beverly. I am the Greater Louisville Region's monthly program coordinator. I'm also a festival social media coordinator, festival vendor co-chair, and a few other hats that I wear. And I am here to welcome you all today to our kickoff event for the 11th annual Jane Austen Festival, where we are celebrating 200 years of Northanger Abbey. And I have the great privilege of introducing our host tonight for Pub Trivia. I came across their podcast a few years ago, actually, from my dear friend, Librarian Mary, who, if you've been to our uh, monthly meetings, you may have seen one of her programs. And so, uh, how could I not be intrigued by a podcast where they pretty much fight out every episode? Who is better, Jane Austen or the Brontes? Can I, can I get a shout for Jane Austen? to announce this is a pub trivia game that has traveled the great literary houses of England. They have performed this at the Bronte Parsonage. They have performed this at the Gaskell House. And we are here for their stateside debut of trivia. So I would like to introduce to you all tonight the host of pub trivia, the host of the podcast Bonnets at Dawn, Lauren and Hannah. Okay, you got I, it. I'll kick things off. Uh, anyone been to a pub quiz? Yeah, a few of you. Have you been to one in England? No. They are very strict, they're not very fun, and they are very aggressive and competitive. So just just pretend you're in England. We are in England. We're here at the festival. It's England, British accents only, these. Okay, we good? Everyone's got a team name, everyone's got a clipboard. Yeah? Good. Alright, we're assuming that you're good. Whisper your answers to your team. Don't give them the satisfaction of giving them your answers. This is competitive. Yeah, there's prizes at stake. 
there is the Golden Jane Trophy at stake. Yes. Don't share your answers with other people, not other teams. Come on. So now, do we have team names? Do we have any brave people who want to share some names? We got. We are the mistresses of the cell phone. Oh! <laughs> Out the gate, very strong. Someone beat that. We're the gothic girls. The gothic girls. This is very gothic. Gothic girls. They are. And you want to hit? Sorry, I want to the camera. We know a great deal about muslin, right? <laughs> Beautiful. Please write these names on the quizzes, by the way, because we love it. I would chat about that. I love it. <laughs> keep that one under your bonnet. <laughs> the anti-dork squad. Dork! Dork! <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know if that's going to be a popular name. <laughs> We're not nerds. That's my team name. I'm so glad someone brought up John Thorpe. Your favourite. I love John Thorpe. I really enjoy it. Oh, there's some greens there. Yeah. I like his hat. I like his little gig. <laughs> I'd go out for a ride with him. All right. Round one. First question. I'm hearing some sheets turning. Ooh, it looks very cool. I know. What was the original title of Northanger Abbey? I can hear you whispering. I can hear it over here. Your other teams are very thankful for this. <laughs> Okay, so question two, round one. We're looking for what year was the novel published? If you can do the complete date, I will give you a bonus point. So what year was Northanger Abbey published? Just the year, but if you can give me the full date, you will get a bonus point. I like some of this discussion. There's some debates. If there's a comedy answer, I might allow it. <laughs> there might be bonus points for comedy answers, you never know. So just like, make sure you put something for every question. The wrong answer is better than no answer, right? <laughs> wow, that is a comedy answer. <laughs> uh, so, question six, round one, question six. What are the Christian names of the Tilney siblings? What are the Christian names of the Tilney siblings? There's a lot of Tilney fans here. I think we should be able to get this one, right? Yeah. 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 What does Christian name mean in America? Oh, first name. Oh, did you? Did you? Is that joke? You know what that means, right? No. We might have problems later down because this is all in British English. I'm so sorry. Ask her about English muffins. Okay, guys. We got a new round, and it's so easy. So easy. So easy. Okay. You guys. Round two, question one. What is Jane Austen's star sign? 
Easy, easy. All right, round two, question three. <laughs> what year was Austin introduced to the 10 pound note? When did that happen? You guys use pounds, right? Pounds, 10 pound note, anyone?
to go to our first ball mm -hmm. as bonnets at dawn how yeah. are you feeling well i was feeling confident and then we just parked and i mean look at those girls I they know. are fully dressed Fabulous. and then the girls behind us as well and I can't we see them, thankfully. are rolling in in some fast fashion i've i mean mine's linen are you gonna dance no i'm gonna dance I'm gonna get some video of that then. <laughs> I'm wearing sandals. <laughs> this is like best wishes. Oh dear. Okay, right. We're gonna go in. We're late. We're gonna miss dinner service. So yeah. we should go. Maybe we should go. Okay. Okay. Front desk. Are you excited? Yes. yes. We nice. We'll be dancing soon. Yes. Oh, okay. And they've got so much wine. There is so much wine on this table. There's no room for tickets. Master of Ceremonies tonight. This is Lauren and Hannah, who are two of our guest speakers this week. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. So he's so going to make sure that we are on time and on schedule. Oh, excellent. Good. Yes. Well, that's the theory. <laughs> <laughs> we have good faith in you. Oh, thank you kindly. Yes. Thank you kindly. Lauren, I want yeah. you to describe. Make a toast. What else would you like? This room? Yes. Great wedding venue. <laughs> it's beautiful. White and gold white and gold and teal and wood mm -hmm. mirrors yeah. I mean you do feel like you've been transported yeah are we the only ones in modern dress now <laughs> just so you know there's gonna be extra special activities planned tonight Kissing. Okay. 
in addition to just the ball, mm -hmm. we will also have the bar open, the billiards room where we will have a gentleman talking about the history of not only this building, yeah. but of the game of billiards. Oh, oh, we will cool. have a gentleman upstairs from the Acosta mm -hmm. teaching oh. different card games. <laughs> oh. your, your dear friends of the Acosta. <laughs> I, I haven't had any and wine, but I did nearly fool. I will be on the just down at the end of the hall mm -hmm. doing card readings. I'm well, kind very of excited for a card yes. reading. Like a tarot card reading. Sort of. I think there are more gentlemen at this ball than the um, bath one. Oh, really? Oh, do you see that um, naval, like, I think, captain or admiral? I don't know what the costumes. I feel like if he's in, oh, yeah, admiral. Red? Yeah, an admiral, yeah. I mean, I'm going to ask him. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Where's the bar? We discovered in doing research that we didn't know before. Don't forget you're sitting at a meal here. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Is that... No, no, I won't tell this. Is that... Uh, first of all, when you wanted a public chair, you would call chair ho, and you would shout that, chair ho, which eventually, because it meant you were going somewhere, eventually evolved into cheerio from the call to, for a chair, which is chair home. And, and the other interesting thing is that the chairmen were generally big, brawny, strapping Irishmen because they were brawny and stupid. I mean, that was the term that was used. And, and, so, and so they could find their way and carry the chair around. And they were, some of them became quite well, well known as Romeos because they were uh, cherished for their stamina. <laughs> Sorry. That's a sex thing. Just in case. I'm like choking on a piece of bread. <laughs> Just in case you missed it, the stamina it thing. Amazing. Sorry, but yeah. Oh no! Don't apologize. More of that. Yes. It's just so interesting because it's like a, such a side thing that you don't think about when you're reading a novel. And then I'm like, oh wait, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with these chairs. And most people misunderstand the chair because Mrs. Musgrove's comment to Anne to fetch her a chair. Everybody thought it because she was not feeling well, she was feeling faint, and they wanted her to sit down. They wanted a sedan chair to take her home. That's why she objected, because she wanted to meet Captain Wentworth in the garden. But if they took her home in the chair, she would not get a chance to meet him in the garden. So it puts a, knowing that, it puts a little bit of a different stance on what was happening and why. And in Northanger Abbey, there are references to chairs, but they're very sh short, and that takes place in Bath. And um, uh, Catherine went to her chair that evening after the ball, very satisfied with, and you know, it was her <laughs> sedan chair, a sedan chair that would carry her home. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's one of the that's just one of the things when you read the books yes. today, and it's all of these little things, and because the words are the same. Right. You know, exactly. you, you think it just it means one thing, but it means another. And, you know, yeah, yeah. You, you 
need to pick it apart and one person can't do that you need a lot of people with a lot of background knowledge yeah. reading the same book and like sharing that yeah. it does make it changes a little bit your perspective, perspective as to what's happening. There's no. a difference between being tired of the ball and taking a chair to sit down yeah. and being tired of the ball and taking a chair, which is a conveyance. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that should be like a new insult or a new like, oh. like go home, you're drunk. Hey, so take, like, a take, a take a chair. Take a chair. Take a chair. Yeah. Or, or you want someone to leave. Uh, I think it's time we took a chair. <laughs> Instead of time to go home. Where, do, where does the chair go? The chair would take you right up into your house, so it would not leave you on the curb because they were licensed. They could go on the sidewalk, the pavements. The pavements. Thank you. There we go. Thank you. The pavements. That's what they would be able to go right into the house to pick you up. And they would even, for the people, Tim in his talk today mentioned that they would go right upstairs to the people who were going to the baths. Pick them up. They would disrobe them, put their bath gowns on them, carry them to the baths, put them into the baths, and then take them back again, wrap them in a blanket, take them back again, so they did not have to ex be exposed to the outside air. Yeah. But they're like, oh, go to bath to cure your gout, right? And then they're like, once you're in bath, don't walk anywhere, because the chairman will dress and bathe you, and then carry you home. Of course they were Romeos. Like, <laughs> this is like a full service. Yeah, you would get a full service, Lauren. Oh, interesting cards indeed, Matt. Really? Right. It looks like you've got news in your future because you had the letter. The letter is bringing the news. Okay. And you've got the clover. Which means luck. Oh. <laughs> I I'm going to go to the races. So. <laughs> She's going to win Publisher's Clearinghouse. <laughs> Not necessarily Publisher's Clearinghouse. No? Oh. But good luck is coming. However, you you have the cross here. Uh oh, what does that mean? The cross means finality. Finality for somebody. Hopefully not me. <laughs> it is not it doesn't necessarily mean death, it doesn't mean the end. It just means that your luck isn't gonna be permanent. And the bad thing. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. So if I go to the races and win once I shouldn't go back? Well, not necessarily. Maybe don't keep betting. <laughs> okay. Okay, so what we have here is the tower. Um, but fortunately, it's a neutral card. That means it's affected by what's around you. Okay. Fortunately, it is followed by two positive cards. But the tower is there to remind you to be on your guard, to be on the lookout. But fortunately, good news is coming because you got the key, which means good fortune is being unlocked for you because it ends with the sun. And remember, as the Beatles always say, here comes the sun, which means it's all going to end happily ever after. I like her fortune back. Evelyn, you can't trade. Thank you, Madam. What about a do-over? <laughs> Fate doesn't allow do-overs, Evelyn. Oh, all right. It also doesn't allow you to swap people's lives or husbands. <laughs> I actually feel like I'm at a Regency ball. Look at that. 
Are you still gonna dance? That nice. looks like a full-on <laughs> click. Everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone is dressed to the nines. I am intimidated. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. I just turned around and saw everybody like stern looking around, just draining his drinks, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in the Regency. <laughs> because she obviously knew enough about gothic horror novels herself to be able to allude to lots of popular gothic plot points. Rather, Austen seems to rely on her readers' knowledge of gothic conventions for her readers to see the possibilities of where a fully gothic Northanger Abbey might go. What I want to do in today's talk is look at a different sort of reading that Jane Austen shows her knowledge of in Northanger Abbey, so whereas yesterday's talk was about 18th century novels at Isabella Thorpe's reading list, today's talk is about 18th century history books, which is what Eleanor Tilney recommends to Catherine. And if you're already thinking history books, then you're in good company with Catherine Morland, who can't really get on with history books at all. But Eleanor's going to try and persuade her that they're really, they're really worthwhile. And because none of Eleanor Tilney's reading recommendations are likely to be on anyone's nightstand today. What I hope to do is explain what it was that Austen wanted her readers to understand about Eleanor's book recommendations. As we'll see, I hope, in the same way that a good knowledge of Gothic horror novels allows us to imagine a fully Gothic Northanger Abbey, so an understanding of the history books that Eleanor, that Catherine's father and brothers, and that Jane Austen and her brothers and father all enjoyed 
allows us to glimpse a very different perspective on the world of North Arabi. First of all, though, let's remind ourselves what's said about history books in North Arabi. And a very interesting discussion occurs in chapter 14, when Catherine finds herself having her first real conversation with Eleanor and Henry. Word for word, it's a much longer conversation and a much more substantial conversation about reading habits in books than Catherine had with Isabella about Gothic horror novels, which kind of figures. Isabella's meant to be flighty and insubstantial, so Catherine has a really shallow conversation with her about Gothic horror novels. Eleanor and Henry are much more serious, Eleanor especially, so Catherine has a much more substantial conversation with Eleanor about what Eleanor likes to read. Henry has just said that Catherine won't be able to compete with him in terms of what he's read. Here is Henry. If we proceed to particulars and engage in the never-ceasing inquiry of have you read this, I shall soon leave you as far behind me as, what shall I say, I want an appropriate simile. As far as your friend Emily herself left poor Valancourt when she went with her aunt into Italy. So Henry's reference to the hero and heroine of Anne Radcliffe's Mysteries of Udolpho is appropriate, given that it appears to be the only book in common to Catherine, Henry, and Eleanor. And Henry has surprised Catherine by professing he reads a lot of novels, as he says men do in general. Henry says, for they read nearly as many as women. Now, those of you who were here yesterday will remember this is a fairly, will remember why this surprises Catherine, because we know that novels were associated particularly with women. So for Henry to say he reads nearly as many novels as women is kind of interesting, and Catherine doesn't expect this from, um, from a man at all. But it is Eleanor who tries to draw Catherine out about any literary tastes Catherine might have beyond Gothic horror. The exchange between Eleanor and Catherine is as follows. As Eleanor says of Gothic, you are fond of that kind of reading. Catherine says, to say the truth, I do not much like any other. Indeed. That is, I can read poetry and plays and things of that sort and do not dislike travels. But history, real solemn history, I cannot be interested in. Can you? Yes, I am fond of history. Very awkward. <laughs> you know, it's one of those conversations you're trying to get to know somebody and maybe impress them a bit, and you've suddenly declared that you don't like something that they've professed themselves really fond of. And Catherine des desperately wants Eleanor to like her, and she also wants Henry, of course, to go on thinking well of her. And yet she's just said she's not at all interested in a whole type of reading of which Eleanor has professed herself fond. So Catherine immediately rushes to explain itself and to clarify. I wish I were too. I read it a little as a duty, but it tells me nothing that does not either vex or weary me. The quarrels of popes and kings with wars or pestilences in every page. The men all so good for nothing and hardly any women at all. It is very tiresome. And yet I often think it odd that it should be so dull for a great deal of it must be invention. For the speeches that are put into the heroes' mouths, their thoughts and designs, the chief of all this must be invention, and invention is what delights me in other books. I'll stop right there, even before we get into the detail of which historians Eleanor particularly likes, 
and why that is important. Because in what I've just read, Jane Austen is using Catherine's apparent naivete as a way of going to the heart of 18th century critical snobbery about the status of history and history writers in comparison to novels and novelists. It's perhaps surprising that throughout the 18th century, a lot of writers we would today consider novelists tried their best to avoid using the term and was probably, considering what's been going on in the field recently, would probably have challenged you to a duel if they'd called you a novelist. <laughs> The novel was such a low status form that back in 1719, when Daniel, back in 1719, Daniel Defoe would spend the preface to Robinson Crusoe and its title page insisting that the story was true, not a story, but a personal history. In fact, Dave Defoe would do this with all of his first person narratives from the 1720s. Paul Flanders, Roxana, all of them, he'd insist that they were, they were true, they really happened. Samuel Richardson, whose Sir Charles Grandison was a favourite novel of Austen's, though not, we know, a popular novel with Isabella Thorpe, would also resist application of the term novelist. Samuel Richardson insisted in all his novels that what he was printing was the real correspondence of those involved in the events. Not an epistolary novel, but a collection of discovered letters. And these are just two examples of a convention that persisted for most of the 18th century. As writers of prose fiction, in other words, novelists, went to great pains to deny that the books published in their name were fictions. Rather, they claimed to be histories, or true histories, with novelists claiming on title pages and in prefaces to be nothing more than the editors of serendipitously discovered works. This convention persisted even into the 1790s at the high point of Gothic horror's popularity, with Gothic novelists frequently claiming to have discovered old manuscripts translated out of medieval European languages. The reason for all of this was that history as a type of writing had all the status. The novel as a form was considered mere entertainment and I always encourage my students to read the prefaces to these 18th century novels. We very rarely read prefaces. We want to get going on the plot, so we turn over the prefaces. But if you bother to read the prefaces in any edition, any modern edition of any of these novels that you've got, you'll find these words instruction and entertainment recur. And the novelist is trying to tell you that they can be entertaining and instructive. It's not mere entertainment, it's got a serious purpose, a moral purpose, at the same time. Male authors, if they aspired to be taken seriously, would hope to produce histories, either of countries or individuals, i.e. biographies. Female authors and female readers were assumed to have found their level and their limits in the novel. So when Austen has Catherine point out, quite rightly, that most of the speeches put in the mouths of heroes in works of history must be made up. Remember, she uses the word invention. Catherine is cutting right to the heart of the claims made for the superiority of history over the novel. If 18th century critics were disdainful of novels and praised history because history was true and instructive and novels were just made up and entertaining, then what about the historian's implicit claim to give us the words 
and thoughts of historical figures. In sum, Catherine is saying, don't historians just make stuff up, like novelists? So why can't they be as entertaining as novelists? <laughs> now, in addition to this big question about the difference between histories and novels, or rather the more fundamental and more abstract question about whether there is any difference between histories and novels at all. Austin is also making a number of allusions aimed at those of her readers who knew, those of her, her readers who knew their 18th century historians. When Catherine complains that most history is, quote, the quarrels of popes and kings with wars or pestilences in every page, Austin is lifting Catherine's complaint almost verbatim from the French philosopher Voltaire, a copy of whose biography of the Swedish King Charles XII was owned either by Jane Austen herself or by her brother James. Voltaire's biography had attracted a lot of interest for breaking with traditional history and biography at the time. And in his preface to the work, Voltaire ridicules historians who focus on unimportant popes and kings or on princes whose lives furnish so little matter, either for imitation or instruction, that they are not worthy of notice. Or, this is Voltaire again, those who are to be remembered only like fires, plagues, and inundations. Remember Catherine's complaint about wars and pestilences on every page. So it's exactly, exactly the same, uh, the same complaint, almost verbatim. Austin clearly knew her Voltaire and knew it well and I suspect it amused her to have Catherine unwittingly voice an objection to conventional history that had been made by none other than Voltaire himself. Whereas Voltaire could do this because he was Voltaire, that is one of the most revered French writers and philosophers of the 18th century, Austin can get away with her attack on the received critical wisdom of the age that said history was a more worthy form than the novel because the character voicing this is Catherine Morland. Catherine, he's largely a blank slate, ready to be inscribed with different friends' opinions. And when Catherine complains that revered works of history contain hardly any women at all, we should remember a couple of things. The first is that writing the history of previously neglected women is now, today, very much a thing. So Catherine's wish to see more women acknowledged in history books has come to pass. But at the time when Austin had Catherine lament the absence of women in works of history, there was one place where female protagonists were very much in evidence, and that was in the novel. Indeed, this audience needs no reminding at all that all of Austin's own novels have sent a stage to women and their experience. So no matter how artless Catherine's comments to Eleanor might seem, Austin is clearly having fun in using Catherine to articulate some big questions about the difference between literature and history, and whether history's claims to a fidelity to truth is always true. It's like this spooky quality of a woman playing the bagpipes and a large crowd slowly walking towards her. <laughs> I love but everyone is just coming in. 
she started playing and it was like a siren song like we all just started midsummer i haven't seen it yet but oh like the bagpipes play and we convene on the green <laughs> in a historic building what happens next hey they might tell you it's 2019 but don't believe them <laughs> And we are back. Thank you guys so much for going on that little road trip with us. <laughs> I have only had two glasses of wine. Only two. And a huge thank you to everyone that made it happen. We would like to extend thanks to the entire board of the Kentucky Jane Austen Festival. It's entirely run by volunteers and they do such hard work every year. And it's just, it's an amazing job. It's such a good show. Like, it really is. The best. I love it. A few names we'd like to shout out here are Amanda Beverly, Bonnie Wise, Alana Gillette, Lan Colgate, Mary Landrum, Shantae Hopkins, Kathy Chopra, Shauna Wallen, Christy Burns, Eleanor Rust, John Craig for editing seven hours worth of audio. Thank you so much. Um, you know, my agent for sticking with me all of these years. My parents. You don't have an agent. My partner, Hannah. My car for making it down to Kentucky. That was that was important. Hey, if Everyone... you want to if you want to keep up with the Kentucky crew, none of these other <laughs> bogus people that Lauren started talking about. If you want to keep up with those Kentucky guys, attend their Winter Ball or the next Jane Austen Festival. You should go to their website at http uh, colon forward slash forward slash jasnalouisville.com forward slash underline in blue or on Twitter at jaffestival. J-A Festival. J-A Festival underscore K-Y. Or, Indeed. if you're feeling fruity, Jaff Festival underscore <laughs> K-Y. Whichever you yes. feel, you, I'm sure it'll come up. <laughs> now, we are getting ready to go on our next road trip, which starts next week. I'm so excited um, for you to come I to know. England. We have some very cool stuff lined up and some very different stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's going to make, um, is next season season four? Yeah. Season four, very interesting. Yeah. Hey, let's let's try wow. and hit 14 hours of audio. Just for yeah. John. Just for you, John. Just for John. <laughs> you can find us, as always and forever, on Instagram and Twitter at bonnets at dawn. You can email us, bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook by searching for bonnets at dawn.